What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Goody podcast. I have my special, special friend and guest, Dr. Jamie Seaman, aka Dr. Fit and Fabulous. What's up? It's so good to be here. It's so good to be here. This is exciting. I, uh, I had you on my podcast. It's time to reciprocate for all your all your followers. Yes. Yeah. No. I know. And like, dude, your podcast has been killing it. Like your guests, your conversations. Like I, I've just I've been so impressed for sure. When you started yours, I was definitely like a kick in the butt for me. I was like, okay, Logan, come on. Like, don't give me that. I'm too busy because I don't think there's anybody too busy than you. And that's also something I definitely want to talk about later on in this conversation about, you know, priorities. But anyways, before we get there, please, let's introduce yourself for people who have not heard of you or don't know you. Please give me a little bit of your background. Well, I'm Dr. Fit and Fabulous, but I have not always been this fit or this fabulous. I, I'm in Nebraska. I'm in Omaha, Nebraska right now, born and raised in the state. I love Nebraska. That's where we're raising our family. But I grew up as a three-sport athlete, went to college, played softball in college, then got into medical school, met my husband. And this was like this sudden shift in my life, going from being a collegiate athlete, having to train all the time, right? There's a nutritionist. And I was actually getting a degree in nutrition and exercise science in my undergraduate training. And so I go to medical school and here's this big shift where now I'm sedentary. I'm sitting in a classroom. I'm sitting in the library. I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting for long periods of time. And I suddenly started to struggle a little bit with my weight. And all I remembered from my nutrition training was limit fat, count your calories. So I'm literally like counting pretzels and goldfish crackers because these are low fat, right? I'm literally like counting portions of it. Got this little notebook, right? You guys, I'm old. This is before like my fitness pal and chronometer. And <laughs> I mean, I'm like keeping track of my calories in a, in a notebook, but. Then my husband wanted to start a family. Didn't he said, I don't want to be an old dad. So we had our first daughter when I was a fourth year medical student, went on to have two more kids during my residency training and failed my glucose testing. Once again, I mean, I was working out, did a little stint with P90X, but I'll be really honest. And I write about this in my book as a woman. I just, I couldn't wait to get out of the weight room. I couldn't wait for my quads to shrink and my biceps to be gone. I mean, I grew up in the eighties and nineties where like heroin chic was like a thing and I wanted to be thin. And what unfortunately happened was I didn't get thin. I got prediabetes and hypothyroidism and I was fatigued and I did not feel good. And I just thought that's what life was like when you have three kids and a husband that's a police officer and works nights. And so fast forward to 2015, I had a really horrible tragedy happen in my life that really gave me some perspective as far as, you know, my own mortality and that our time on earth is limited. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I mean, that's the real, people get weirded out when I say things like this, but the real honest truth, Logan, is I could get off this podcast and head to the grocery store and get in a car accident and die today. I mean, that's, you just don't know. You hear about these tragedies all the time, but we never think like, oh, that's going to be me. Like we never, unfortunately, like until we're in a horrible tragedy like that, like we never gain that perspective. And it's just so sad how much we take for granted as humans. And so I just started in 2015. I just, I started changing my whole life. I changed my diet. I started working out again. And what started as trying to take a hold of my health spilled over into every area of my life. It changed my marriage. It changed the way I practiced as a physician. It changed literally everything for me. And that's really how Dr. Fit and Fabulous was born and, and why we're sitting here talking to each other right now. Yeah. Can I ask you what was that tragedy, that, that thing that happened? If you, and yeah. if you don't want to talk, we don't, we don't have to, we can go yeah. to the, 
No, no, we can totally talk about it. I, I talk about it in my book, uh, a, a brief version of it. Basically, I was pregnant with my third daughter, Kimber, and girls do these silly things where me and my best girlfriend decided to get pregnant at the same time. Hey, let's have a baby together, right? I mean, I think it's the shared experience, right? Let's experience this together because they had lived in another state when they had their other two children. And these were just our best friends. We hung out every Friday, every Saturday, you know, together. We had a uh, when we hung out together, we had a one, two, three, and four-year-old little girls. You know, you can resonate yes, with this, Logan, yeah. right? Like, that's a lot of little girls in one room. So we got pregnant together, and halfway through her pregnancy, she got sick, got like an upper respiratory infection. And fast forward, basically, the doctors missed the diagnosis. She got admitted to the hospital, got sick really fast, lost her baby, ended up being intubated, and ultimately that Saturday, she died. And she died of something called coccidiomycosis, which is a valley fever. Anybody listening that lives in like Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada area, they know what this is. Like it's a common respiratory infection. You take an antifungal, you get better. Like it's it's easily treatable. But in Nebraska, like people don't get that. And um, she left behind a one and a three-year-old little girl. She left behind a husband and just sitting there watching her die in this hospital bed, like that could have been me. Like that could have been me just as easily. She was healthy. She had no health problems and she was just literally swept off this earth. And for me, it was like, wow, like she only got 29 years. Like how many am I going to get? And it just really forced me to start thinking about the way I live my life and really the purpose of my life. You know, here I was as a doctor living with a preventable medical condition like prediabetes and hypothyroidism, right? Taking my thyroid medicine every day. Like my A1C was high. I was eating garbage, like, you know? Um, but I think that as a mom, sometimes you're just trying to survive. Like I totally get it when your kids are little and you're just, you're just trying to make things work. But at the same time, it's like, I, I deserve better. Like I deserve a better life in whatever time I have. And that was the impetus for writing my book, Hard to Kill, was I was easy to kill people. Listen, I was eating Sonic milkshakes and cheese sticks, and I thought I deserved that. That was my, you know, you're hardworking, you're working 80 hours a week, you know, you're doing a good job, girl. Like, I think we patty cake ourselves so much. And I know this, this is, I'm getting a little bit off tangent here, but I, I, I want to hit this point. I went to one of these like comedy shows. I don't even remember the name of it. It's like two moms where they get up on stage and they're like drinking wine and they're like making fun of like mom life, right? Yeah. And I left that show feeling so disempowered. Like I was like, so we're just supposed to like live this half-assed life and drink wine to like cover up our sadness about it. And we're just supposed to appreciate our our squishy body and our, like I was like, no, like nobody's happy. Like that was great to say, you know, oh, body positivity, like feel good in your own body. But like, if you're not really happy, if you're not living like your true authentic self and that's not how you really like want to be, then like, don't tell people, like, don't support that. Like if somebody, you know, and so, you know, after this tragedy, I basically, like I said, I changed everything. I I was like, listen, like I'm going to be hard to kill. Like someone's going to try to take me out. She got taken out by a fungal infection, right? COVID's trying to take people out. So, you know, somebody listening, like, you might fall down a flight of stairs. Hope you don't break a bone or break a hip because after age 65, like your risk of mortality after a hip break is like sky high. So for me, it was just about like becoming really physically resilient, really mentally resilient, really spiritually resilient, like in every capacity. And that's where I am now. And it's 
it's a, it's a really good place to be, but it also takes daily work. Like I'm not just here. I'm not, I'm not at this moment and I stay here all the time. Like every day we either get better or we get worse. Like we don't, we don't stay in the same spot. Yeah, that is, that's, that's very, very powerful. And you know, that is, you know, something that I try to relate to my audience. So me being a father, same thing, you know, like what's our purpose, right? Is our purpose only to provide for our families and just sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice and, and never doing things that benefit us, right? We're, we're kind of how you said, like, it's the, the, the dad bod, the dad life, right? You're supposed to just go to work, shut up, provide for your family, get off work, have your beer, eat fat, get fat, watch your favorite movie, go to sleep, do it all over again, right? And and, and a lot of dads that are watch, that are listening to this and watching this kind of get stuck in that routine of, oh, well, this is just the way it's supposed to be. It's the dad bod, right? This is the life. And, and, and I'm so glad, you know, you and I are here saying, no, it does not have to be that way. Matter of fact, it shouldn't be that way. You well, if should. that's what you truly want, if that's what you truly want, if that is what is truly going to bring you happiness and joy, I'm here for it. Yeah. But I'm going to guess that 95% plus of the people listening are like, yeah, I don't really want that. Yeah. And well, and the other, I think the other 5% too would, you're right. You're probably, they're probably saying, I don't want that. But if they could feel the way that feels of, being in great shape, not being sick all the time, not having your body ache all the time, not not having your body always having inflammation and feeling like crap and feeling tired, then they would probably change their mind. I, I would suspect that. But it's 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 a very interesting thing. And you know, and I was never overweight and in horrible shape when I was a father. Luckily I got my butt into shape before I had my kids, but I can definitely see how it's very easy to go down that path. It's very easy to let yourself go for people listening. I have two little girls, Jamie has three. And, you know, a lot of us always say, you know, Hey, it's, I'm I'm too busy. I don't have time to go work. I mean, how many, how many people have you talked to like, Jamie, I, I just, I don't have time to work out. I don't know what to eat. I don't have time to cook. I don't have time to do other things. And, and in my head, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whenever I hear people say that, I'm like, especially I always think about you. Cause it's like, okay, wait. So I just checked Jamie's story. She was up at four in the morning, delivering a child. Then she got up, went to go work out. Then she came back home, got the kids dressed, took them to school, then got, got up, went to work and it's like, then she, then she got off work, recorded a podcast. And it's, it's like, it's, it's not, it's not anything. It's not about having time. I, I don't believe that anymore. It's, it's rather, is it a priority to you or not? If it's a priority to you, you will make time. You will find time. If it's not, you'll find an excuse. And so what, when people come and tell you that, like, Jamie, I just don't have time. I'm a busy mom. I'm a busy parent. I don't have time to to take control of my life. What do you tell them? How do you motivate them? And, and, and how do you kind of relate? Well, like, listen, mommy, so am I, but I still get it done. What do you, what do you, what's something you tell them? Well, here's the thing is there is a mom listening right now that as moms, we are givers. We want to cook for our family. We want to do everything for our kids. We make the excuse not to go to the gym because there's no childcare. We got to, we are constantly, as soon as we have those children, our brains like shift into this, like whatever I got to do to make my DNA survive. But we do that at the cost of our own health and wellness and my advice for people is one of my mottos is pay yourself first. So it seems really selfish. It seems really selfish to tell your kids, hey, 
mommy's going to work out right now. You're more than welcome to get down on the floor and do this workout with me, or you're more than welcome to play with your own, you know, toys for a little bit. My mommy's going to do this workout right now. And yes, is it distracting when they're running around? Right. But like, if you take care of yourself, like it will make you a better, better mom. And you're also setting an example for your children by, you know, they're watching you like eat your steak and some blueberries and do your workout. Kids literally learn by watching, it's called mirror neurons. So as mammals, I mean, the same thing goes with monkeys and, you know, whatever other mammal you can think of. They literally learn by watching the older people in their herd, in their tribe or whatever. Like that's how your kids learn. So if you're showing your kids that like, don't have to work out, just go through the drive through. Like this is what we do. Like that's how your kids are going to grow up and, and that's what they're going to do. The other like, magic sauce because I sit in clinic all day and most patients can tell me how they're supposed to eat, how they're supposed to move, right? But what is the difference between people like you and I or other high achievers that actually get these things done and those that don't, right? Okay, first of all, excuses are, Tom Shea taught me this, subtle, seductive, and believable. Subtle, seductive, and believable, right? Oh, you worked 80 hours this week. You don't have to work out. Very believable, right? These are like real world things that happen. So what's the difference? The difference is that you have like a hundred billion neurons in your brain and each neuron is connected to 10,000 other neurons. It's the most powerful thing sitting on top of your shoulders between your ears right now. The most powerful, most amazing thing, but it's limiting you. You are living with these like self-limiting beliefs and you are actually truly limitless when you can figure out your brain, the language inside your brain is what drives action. So if I wake up and say, I'm a fat, tired mom, I'm going to do fat, tired mom things. And if I wake up and say, I'm fucking hard to kill, I'm a badass, I'm this and this and this and this, and I'm a badass doctor, and I'm, then I'm going to do those things. Like you're, the way that you talk to yourself is literally the magic sauce. Because most people, like I said, they can tell you what foods to eat. They can, they know they're supposed to work out. They know they're supposed to get seven hours of sleep a night, like this, that, and the other. But the difference is in that language. Who are you? Who are you? And what do you want in life? What do you want with whatever amount of time you have left? Because runners run and writers write and house builders build houses and OBGYNs deliver babies. Like that's like, that's what we do. So if you are inside, if you are, overweight and feel unfulfilled and you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm a fit mom. I'm healthy. Then like change that language first, because you can get yourself to meal prep for a week. You can get yourself to go to the gym for like a month. Right. But nobody does it. Month two comes around. Month three comes around. Nope. Back into autopilot. Yeah. That easily. Cause you didn't change the language. It's like when people lose a hundred pounds and then regain a hundred pounds, like holy crap, right? That was like a lot of work to lose a hundred pounds. How do you just like regain hundred pounds? Because in their brain, they were still fat, tired, sick, overweight Joe. Like they never changed the language. They didn't believe it. They got almost there and they didn't believe it. And so they just went right back to doing all the things they did before. Yeah. I, I, I love that you said that about, you know, speaking it out loud, telling yourself that you're a badass, telling yourself that you're a warrior, telling you, telling yourself the things that you want to become. I've never really have done that, but I was watching a interview with Clay Thompson. For those of you who don't know, Clay Thompson, he's a, he's a NBA player for the, for the Warriors. And he had two devastating back to back injuries, one in the finals. And they ended up losing if they, if he never would have got her, I think they would have won those, that finals had to take a whole year of recovery and, and, and rehab, got back, 
I think like in the the first couple of games, boom, Torrey's Achilles, like another devastating injury. Have to be out. He's going to have to be out for another year. And he and he was talking about how he was just so depressed. Just it was just killing him. He didn't know if he was going to be able to do another year of rehab because you know rehab sucks. I, I've never personally done it, but I could I could imagine that it, it has to suck. And he had gotten with a, a a motivating person. I forgot the the person's name, but. Long story short, he told him, hey, every morning you just need to look yourself in the mirror and just tell yourself, I'm a badass. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to recover. Like screaming out loud in the mirror every morning. And he says, this may sound cheesy, but it worked. And if he never would have done that, he doesn't know if he would have been able to come back. So every morning telling yourself that I can do this. I'm a badass. I'm a warrior. I can beat this. This can't beat me. Speaking it out loud will make a huge difference. That's something that I really want to start doing in the mornings. Unfortunately, I don't want to like mm-hmm. scare my kids in the morning, like yeah. screaming, but I bet you that would definitely uh, help a lot of people. Well, and let me explain this. Let me explain the science just a little bit, Logan, for people listening, because my nerd brain, right? That's how I think. So please, please do. <laughs> you have. You have your central nervous system, right? Your brain. I just told you it's like the most powerful organ, right? It is connected to something inside your gut called your enteric nervous system. This is your nervous system of this is the brain in inside your gut, right? Everyone talks about gut brain connection, right? It's like when you get that gut feeling. Although this seems silly to stand in front of your mirror every morning and yell these affirmations at yourself, right? It just seems so silly, right? Because you're like, oh my God, I hope nobody's watching. Like you just feel silly even if you're by yourself. It was like the first time I tried to meditate. I felt like so awkward, like so awkward. But here's the thing is that stress, right? Like psychological stress. Let's say you get off this podcast, your wife starts screaming at you, kids are going berserk, right? Stress makes us sick. We know that, right? Inflammation, stress, it, it literally can drive chronic disease. Well, if our brain can make us sick, our brain can make us healthy. And so, you know, for somebody like that, like going through rehab, get up, I'm strong. You're secreting these chemicals. They're helping you heal. They're making you grow stronger. And there, there's literally science behind it. So although this sounds like, like a silly woo-woo thing that, you know, we're, we're telling people to do, there's real science behind it. Your brain is that powerful. It's crazy, right? It it really is. And and I know a lot of people, again, yeah, they're like, uh, it's a little awkward. Sure, it's going to be awkward the first couple of times, but I promise, I'm sure it will get easier and, and you'll love the routine every single morning. Just like you brush your teeth, you're going to tell your things, all the things you need to hear. Well, I want to I want to go to another topic, what I want to talk about. And this is something that I, I, I see a lot in my space. And that's, you know, a lot of moms who want to get in shape. And they want to start lifting weights, but they're so intimidated. And the biggest reason why, what they tell me why they don't want to start lifting weights is I don't want to get big and bulky and I don't want to gain too much muscle. And I I always tell them like, that's not going to happen. That's absolutely not going to happen. But what is what what is something that you say to women that say, hey, Jamie, I want to start lifting some, some heavy weights, but I don't want to get too big. Yeah. Well, I already kind of resonate with these people because I told you when I left college, I was a two-time lifter of the year at Nebraska. All I wanted was my muscles to go away and I wanted to be thin. What I have realized now is that to get big and jacked and burly like a dude, you're probably going to need to take steroids or have a really special genetic potential. Because I know some chicks that can lift some damn heavy weights 
and they look amazing. Like I, if I lined them up, there are people that'd be like, yep, I want that body. Yeah. I want those arms. These girls lift heavy weights. Okay. What happens when you start lifting weights too, is that not only do you start gaining muscle, but you naturally start losing body fat because if you're lifting weights hard enough, it is a cardiovascular workout. So if you are a mom and you only have 30 minutes to go to the gym, getting on the treadmill and running for 30 minutes versus really pounding the weights for 30 minutes is going to make your body look vastly different. I mean, how many times have you gone to a marathon? There's some overweight marathon runners. Like you can't outrun a bad diet. So getting your nutrition in a good place and lifting resistance, doing resistance training, is where you're going to have the most time-effective bang for your buck as, as a mom. And then here's the deal with resistance training. Women actually tend to burn fatty acids more than men do when it comes to resistance training. So in a hypertrophy-type workout program, women can actually do a lot more repetitions than men. So when you see the guy on the squat rack and he's like squatting like 550 for six reps, women actually can get just as good results lifting significantly less weight and doing it for like 10 to 15 reps. So don't feel like it has to be like the most massive amount of weight. Women actually don't fatigue as fast as men. And with that said... How I like people to start is, listen, do bodyweight exercises. And if you can't fatigue with those, okay, now let's move to some resistance bands or dumbbells or kettlebells. You don't have to go straight to deadlifting and squatting and whatever. Like get, you know, find your comfort level because form is way more important than how much weight you're pushing. But I will tell you right now that if you want to be hard to kill, you want to prioritize building lean body mass because muscle is a metabolic organ and it is a great reservoir for carbohydrates. If anybody listening is like me and likes to eat and likes to eat carbohydrates, <laughs> you want muscle, trust me. If you want to look thin and you're just going to lose all your muscle, you're going to be way more predisposed to chronic diseases. You are going to break your bones after menopause when you lose your hormones. It is not. It is going to be a miserable life. So spend your 20s and 30s and 40s hitting those weights. It's never too late though. If you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s listening right now, it's never too late. But resistance training is going to be far more effective at making you hard to kill compared to something like cardio. When it comes to cardiovascular exercise, I mean, all movement is great, but if you really want to be effective, true high intensity interval training. Like I'm talking not your cute little like hour long orange theory circuit, but like true sprint work or high intensity interval training. And it only has to be like a two to three minute workout. Mind blowing, right? So like this is like all out sprint for 20 seconds, rest for 10 seconds, all out sprint for 20 seconds, rest for 10 seconds. Like just do that eight times. Really, really, really effective at body recomposition. It's great for your cardiovascular system and it won't make you lose lean body mass, like long bouts of cardio will. Yeah, no, I used to, I, I used to do hit cardio. <laughs> I haven't done it in a while, but I remember when I did, we would, I would throw up. It, it was just, it was just normal. Like you, you'd want to throw up. We used to have like this, um, I don't know what, it was a treadmill, but it was like kind of curved. I think it was called the curve and it wasn't oh, yeah, like, it was all like one like, of those like assault treadmill things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it's like, and it was, Yes, self-propelled. So the fastest, the, the faster you go, the faster it's going to go. And we would just do dead sprints for, for, you know, 15, 20 seconds, just as fast as you can run a minute rest. And, and I remember those were so killer. And I used to dread them, but I will say this when, when I used to do them, 
I was probably in the best shape of my life for sure when I incorporated incorporated hit training regularly. Obviously, I got away from it when I switched gyms and I just always used it as an excuse to never go back. But hit training is it's one of those things like you're right, you don't need a lot of time. But if you do it correctly, you, you probably will feel like you want to throw up, but that's a good thing. Like you'll it just means you did it correctly. But yeah, yeah people no, don't like uh, discomfort. People don't like Oh, like, right. I think a lot of women don't want to work out because it hurts. Like, I mean, I have patients that will say like, oh, well, I did a resistance training, but then I was really sore the next day. I mean, it took me days to recover. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like discomfort doesn't mean stop. Discomfort doesn't mean avoid gym for multiple days. I mean, there's difference between like soreness and discomfort and actual true injury, but that's because the change is happening right when it starts hurting. That's when the change happens. It's not the first eight repetitions. It's not the first 10 seconds of sprinting. It's that moment where you're like, I think I'm going to be sick. This is awful. Your cardiovascular system is saying, it's okay. We got you. We're going to make these changes. We're going to, we're going to make this, you know, more elastic and we're going to do this. Like that is exactly when the change is happening. And that's the, the point where most people stop, walk off, get out, go, don't do anymore. So for women listening to this, if, if you, I promise you the way that you envision yourself, the way you want to look like, Oh, if I just had toned arms, if I just had toned biceps and toned legs, resistance training. You're not going to get big and bulky. You're actually going to look the way you want to look. Okay. So take it from Jamie. If you, you want to look great and you want that look, trust me, resistance training is going to get you there. So do, don't think that, Oh, I'm going to get big and bulky. That's not going to happen. Resistance training. You need to incorporate it at least, you know, two, three times a week. So please do that. Okay. So I want to, I want to talk about something else. Like, you know, you were on Titan games season two, correct? Yep. Yep. And I've talked to you personally about this a lot of times, but I, w- I want my audience to hear this. So how was it? I'm a huge fan of The Rock. I'm like a fanboy of The Rock. I don't know what I'd do if I ever met The Rock. Jamie's actually showed us, let us listen to some like personal messages that that The Rock has sent you, just like talking to you like, hey, Jamie, just out of, out of nowhere. I'm like, oh my God, getting a DM from The Rock, I would I'd probably have a heart attack. But tell me, how was that experience meeting The Rock and, and doing a show like that? I mean, that's it's got to be pretty crazy, right? You you probably never thought. Never. And ever... Never. <laughs> never in my wildest dreams. Yeah. So when I was a little girl, I watched American Gladiators and I loved that show. And It was amazing. I like, like, I wanted to be diamond. Like that was like, when I say like, say who you are, like I am an American gladiator. Like that is how, like in my soul, like that's what I've always felt like. Right. So Dr. Fit and Fabulous is like my current day manifestation of that. And so this opportunity came around. I was actually in the operating room and one of my scrub techs was like, Hey, you should try, you should try out for that Titan game show. I didn't even know what it was. I had to Google it and look it up. I'm like, Holy God, this looks just like American gladiators. It's like real everyday heroes competing against other real everyday heroes to like be a Titan. And so I had to go to this tryout. So I went to this tryout and you know, you show up like imposter syndrome, right? Like I'm there. Everyone's like younger than me, like all these CrossFit athletes. And, but I tried out for the show. Did really well in tryouts. The Rock asked me to, you know, come compete on Titan Games. And so I had to like leave my OBGYN job for three weeks and fly down to Atlanta to do filming. And I ended up being there till the end. I was actually an alternate for the finale, but I finished in the top six women of the show. And oh my God, it like it relit this fire for me because I think anybody listening that's ever competed, like not even collegiately necessarily, but just like athletes love that, like that feeling like getting out there and competing. And it was like, I hadn't done that in like 
I don't know, 15, 20 years. Like I hadn't competed in anything in like for sure over 13 years. And so to get out there and like put on that Titan uniform and I mean, it's TV, right? There's smoke and all the stuff and the rock is like standing there. Like talk about like no pressure. It was just so fun to get out there in front of my girls. My three girls were were there when it was filming and to just like show them that like, even though you're a mom, like even though you're a doctor, right? You're supposed to be professional, wear this white coat, you know, whatever, like be a woman, be a lady, like to get out there and just show them like sweaty and banged and bruised up and just like, you know, just going after something that you want. Like that was priceless for me. That was like totally priceless for me. And, and to show them too, like I didn't win it, like, but you you don't get the opportunity to win anything that you're not willing to like put yourself on the line for. You know, we miss out on so many opportunities because we're afraid of people, what people will think of me or I might lose. Or, I mean, I had every excuse in the book, you guys. I like peed my pants in the, uh, in the tryouts deadlifting. I hadn't deadlifted in like years. I deadlifted like, I don't know, over like 300 something pounds. Like, and I mean, it was just such an amazing experience. The Rock is so nice, you guys, just like you see. I mean, I don't think you can be that successful in that many businesses without being like a people person. He's just, he's truly genuine. I saw him like get worked up one time, you know, and maybe yelled at some some crew or something like that. But he's so nice. I don't think he's as tall as the internet lists him, but his arms, like he is a big dude. Like his biceps are like as big as my quad. I mean, he's he's big. But it was just such a fun experience. And I made so many friends from the show. I'm still in contact with a ton of people. It was a cool experience for for me just as a, a mom and a doctor to put on the Titan uniform and get out there and compete. Yeah, you know, that's uh, it's funny. Yeah, when you would uh, hang out with your cast, some of your cast, uh, or well, your, 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 yeah, some of your members, I started following a lot of them. So, because you tagged them in one, like y'all went to the lake one one time or something oh, like that? Oh, yeah, we, we did a lake. Well, it was like in the pandemic, we're like, okay, well, uh, nobody's traveling, so maybe we should all like meet up. So we went to the lake one weekend, and then uh, we went to Nashville one weekend because one of the girls was competing in a bodybuilding show. So we just made a, you know, it was a good excuse to all get together. But these are like really like high achieving people. Like you hang out with these people and you're like, maybe I should do more things in my life. Like, I mean, no, they, they were are just like badasses. totally badasses. Yeah. They're all badass. That's why I started following them. I was like, oh, wow, this person has a supplement company. Wow, this person was the Titan for the Tennessee Titans. Like he was the actual real life mascot, not a cartoon, like, because he looked like a freaking Titan. So there's like, yeah, just here, throw in some like old Spartan type attire and just run out in the field because you look like a freaking beast. And I think I think his name is Bert, Bertley? Bartley. Bartley Weaver. Yeah. Bartley. Bartley. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, just a really cool guy. It's, it's so funny. Like, yeah, I just found him through you and started following him and uh, actually met him at the Olympia. Just a really good guy, country guy. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's it's really cool to, like, to see you guys all like still like support each other, stay in contact. I thought that was really cool. And like, yeah, found some new followers because of that. Awesome. Yeah. Good people. Really good people. Yeah. I want, I want to, you know, when you became OBGYN, so, and you started having, you know, patients come in and talk about nutrition and, you know, you hear this a lot, especially like in the space that you and I are both in on how doctors don't really necessarily support a, I would say not really like a high fat or like a high meat diet, right? Eating a lot of meat. They're like, oh, you know, you should probably eat a lot of carbs or eat this, you know, they don't really support eating a lot of red meat or high protein. What changed your mind or, and, and were you ever in that spectrum? Like, yeah, you kind of followed your traditional food pyramid, right? Which is a lot of carbs and not so much red meats and, and fish and, and proteins. 
I mean, the food pyramid of the early 1990s was like what I grew up on, right? Six to 11 servings of grains. I mean, we ate the hamburger helper without the hamburger, right? Which was just pasta. <laughs> um, a lot of bread, a lot of cereals. I mean, that is that was my childhood growing up. And so, you know, fast forward, I got this degree in nutrition and exercise science. I go to medical school, which for most of my colleagues, nutrition is not a typical pathway to medical school. Most people do biochemistry, you know, biology, something along those lines, just because the prerequisites tend to overlap. But for me, I was kind of like, if I don't get into medical school, like, what am I going to do with a biology degree? So I was really, you know, fortunate to have this background in nutrition. But fast forward, like I said, here I was with a nutrition degree and a medical degree living with prediabetes. And at that moment in 2015, I started like diving back into the literature and I'm like, you know, Jason Fung had come out with his book and this and that and the other. And, you know, I'd heard of the Atkins diet, but I started with Whole30, then I did Paleo. Then I like cheese too much, so I couldn't do paleo anymore and ended up settling on the ketogenic diet. And it was like effortless for me. Like it was like my brain started working, the weight was coming off. But even when I started, I thought I was kind of doing like fad diet, like everybody on the internet said it was, right? And so I was kind of like, I wasn't super loud about, you know, what I was doing, but like people start asking, right? When you start losing the weight, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And this is when exogenous ketones were coming to the market. And so... After I, you know, my labs looked good, I felt good, I started talking to patients about low-carb diets, you know, that want to lose weight. Maybe, hey, you know, let's cut some of these processed carbs out. Let's add some high-quality fats and proteins. But even, I mean, I was still treading lightly, like in those early days, 2015, 2016, 2017. And, you know, now we're kind of seeing the pendulum swing. There's definitely like more studies that are happening now, and there's still a lot of debate. But here's the deal. And this is, you know, how I kind of outlined in my book, is that, When you think about the three macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbs, right? You can argue that protein and fat are the only essential macronutrients. Carbs are non-essential for human life, right? Eat the carnivore diet. Okay, whatever. So then think about like vegan diet, right? They don't eat any meat. I think that just eating real whole foods, whether you prescribe to carnivore, vegan, or somewhere in between, you're probably going to be doing okay by eliminating these highly palatable, ultra-processed foods that contain mostly carbs and fat right? And all these really sketchy ingredients and food dyes and whatever. Okay. So now we're talking just like whole foods. So now of the whole foods, what is going to make you hard to kill? Well, eating a vegan diet, I can tell you is really bad for your bones. It's really bad for your fertility. It's really bad for a lot of things because it doesn't contain many very essential nutrients like choline, vitamin B12, vitamin D, right? So I do think eating meat is a good thing. There's no evidence that meat causes, you know, cancer. There is no solid evidence that saturated fat causes heart disease when you're eating real whole foods, when you're excluding these ultra processed foods. American Cardiology Association even came out and said that a couple of years ago. If your saturated fat is coming from, you know, beef, butter, and eggs, there's no evidence that that alone drives cardiovascular disease. So from my perspective, leveraging protein in the diet is very important because basically your body will continue to tell you to eat. No, eat again. Logan, have a snack, have another meal until you've met that protein threshold. So if you're trying to lose weight and you need to control hunger and control your appetite, 30 grams of protein with some high quality fats is going to help you control your appetite. And if your doctor's just telling you, you know, eat less, move more, and is not giving you strategies like this to mitigate hunger and cravings, they're not doing you well, right? I can tell you right now, when I eat carbs, like I, I crave more. I want more, right? Blood sugar gets unstable, then I get tired, then I want to lay down and take a nap. Like it just doesn't give me that sustained energy. I'm not saying carbohydrates are inherently bad, 
they're, I mean, look at bodybuilders. They're eating 400, 500 carbs a day. They look lean, mean, and shredded, right? But they're eating rice. They're eating sweet potatoes. They're eating berries. They're eating real whole food carbs and they are working their tails off in the gym. They're on the stair climber. They're pushing weights. They are, you, you have to earn your carbohydrates. So I think for most people, if you're sedentary and you're not super active, 10 to 15 carbs per meal, that equates to 30 to 50 carbs a day. I think a super active person, maybe more like 130 to 150 carbs per day, eating real whole foods. I think it's basically impossible to get above that carb threshold if you're only eating real whole carbohydrates, right? People eating more than that are eating processed foods. They are. And so, you know, if your carbs are just coming from blueberry and, you know, greens and maybe even a little bit of honey, like you're still eating a pretty low carb diet when it comes to, you know, the grand scheme of things. Yeah, it does. And I'm so glad you said that about, you know, using the bodybuilder, you know, bodybuilders eating like 400, 450 grams of carbs a day. And that's funny. So my coach actually, um, he tagged me in a really interesting post and it was, it was, it was actually really awesome. So he had his blood work done and everything was just great. Blood panel, amazing. He posted it. He said, look at this. Look at all my, my blood markers. I eat 450 grams of carbs a day. So he was trying to make a point, you know, hey, carbs aren't bad. But the main point of it was there's a reason why he can eat that much and have these markers because a lot of people were messaging me like, how? How can he eat that much? Guys, he is 10K steps minimum a day. He gets enough sleep. He drinks enough water. He eats whole foods. He's training like a monster. He does all the little things right, right? And he's also not and not he's also in great shape. So like you said, like when people say, hey, I want to, you know, I want to lose weight. I want to do this. I want to, I want to eventually eat carbs. Right. You can, you can get there. And and people like who haven't watched my YouTube channel in like over a year, they'll come back like, whoa, 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 what are you doing, bro? You're eating carbs again and you're not keto anymore. And I'm like, dude, listen, we all go through different phases in our life, right? Like I started off, I was severely overweight. I had all the chronic diseases, right? High blood pressure. I was a type two diabetic. I had high cholesterol, taking all types of medication. I reverse all of that. Now I'm in great shape. I try to be as active as I can, drink all my water, get enough sleep, get enough uh, vitamin D, work out, do all these things. And now I can have carbs and I don't have the same negative effect that I would have if I was eating as many carbs as I am today, back when I was, you know, in horrible shape. And so the point is like, look, like you and I said, carbs aren't bad, but if you're in horrible shape, you probably don't need a lot of them, right? You probably need to reduce them. Once you lose all that weight, you reverse your metabolic diseases, you reverse your markers, and you get in, into a much better place, then yeah, incorporate them, right? You could probably have a little bit more. The more muscle you have, the more carbs you can have, correct? Is that not, is, isn't, don't they say that, you know? Yeah, muscle is a glucose disposal agent. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to eventually get there, get your butt in shape reverse your markers first before you jump right back into carbs. So it was a really interesting thing. And I'm glad, I'm glad him and I went back and forth on it in a good way. Like, you know, we're like, Look. well, and the other caveat is he probably eats lower fat. So like when we think about energy calories, carbs or fat, you can eat them balanced, but that's very, very hard for people to find that middle ground. So it's kind of like pick which horse you're going to ride. You want to eat carbs? Cool. But you're going to have to eat a low fat diet. And from my perspective, from a hormone production perspective, your brain function, your brain is literally made of fat. 
I think people eating a low-fat diet chronically can have major implications. And I've seen that in the bodybuilder world. I've taken care of female patients that have done bodybuilding. They've been eating just high-carb, low-fat diets for years. Their testosterone sucks. I mean, their thyroid function sucks because they've been in a calorie deficit for so many years. So yes, you're going to see outliers, people that can thrive on high-carb diets, maybe a CrossFit athlete or an endurance athlete or something like that. But for a real everyday person that isn't training at that level, uh, it would be probably more advantageous to do targeted carbs and just control carbohydrate, just earn your carbs, basically. Absolutely. So for women that want to eat more protein, what's the best advice that you can give them? Like just say, hey, I, I don't really, I'm not really hungry throughout the day. I, it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't have time to cook, like, but I know I need to be eating more protein. What's, what's some, what's advice that you would give them to, to make sure they get enough protein and what is enough protein for a average woman? Yeah. So protein is the one macronutrient that literally takes a concerted effort. It, it's easy to find fat calories, right? You can like sit there and eat some cheese, cut some cheese off the block. It's easy to find carbohydrates. You can grab some wheat thins. It's easy to find fat and carbs. Protein really takes a concerted effort. And so from my perspective to reduce what I call decision fatigue, where when you don't know what you want to eat, you're going to go for the convenient thing. So to reduce that, I prep all my protein at the beginning of the week. I make sure in my fridge, there's some ground beef, turkey, chicken, shrimp, salmon, like whatever it is. It like I have it like ready for the week. It's available to me. From how much protein should you eat? I kind of talked about that 30 gram threshold. And that's because eating 30 grams of protein is probably going to get you enough leucine. There's very specific amino acids needed to stimulate the lean body mass. And most women are eating sub threshold amounts, right? They're eating 10 grams of protein at a time, maybe 15 grams of protein. And that's actually, okay, cool. You're getting some protein, but like you're not eating enough to actually get the response in the lean tissue that we want. And so... And, and patients will tell me, when I make them put 30 grams of protein on a plate, they're like, dude, doc, I'm full. I'm like, oh, welcome to satiety. Welcome to actually giving your body what it asked for and having it give you that response back. Hey, girl, I'm good. You gave me what I needed. I mean, 30 grams of protein is very filling. And so, but it's not that much. People are like, oh my God, 30 grams of protein with a meal. Okay. Four ounces, four to five ounces of like chicken breast, beef, whatever it is, is about 24, 25 grams. Okay. So we're talking like five or six ounces of meat. That's like a deck and a half of playing cards. It's really not that much. Put some high quality fats, maybe a little avocado, you know, this, that, maybe a few berries, boom, there's your meal. Like you don't have to overthink this. How much protein should you eat in a day? Well, I think you could eat up to a gram per pound body weight. So for somebody like me, weighs 160 pounds, 160 grams of protein. Whew, that is a lot, right? That's, you know, 50, 55 grams, three times a day. You're probably not going to get that all in one meal or two meals. You're going to want to spread that out a little bit. I think a lower threshold, like basement minimum, basement minimum, and I don't care how little you weigh, 30 grams, three times a day. So 90 grams. If you're getting 0.8 grams per pound body weight, okay, so for me, that'd be like maybe like 110, 120 okay, cool. Hit somewhere between 90 and 160 grams a day and you're doing pretty damn good. And then the rest of your calories are essentially coming from, from fat and carbohydrates. But if you hit those minimum protein thresholds, I'm telling you right now, your hunger is going to be controlled. You're going to be giving your lean body mass what it needs and you're going to be more successful. And how much protein are you going for? Are you going for 160 a day? Yeah. I mean, I don't always hit it. Well, my macros right now, so I'm 
For people who don't follow me, I did a bodybuilding competition last year. Robert Sykes coached me. This year, he was like, "Mm -mm, not happening. Now we're going to work on building, growing. And that's really hard as a woman, right? Like I liked being lean. Once again, it's that mindset of women. Like, well, I don't want to be like big and (laughs) jacked. I'm telling you right now, team thick and fit. I am working on getting big and jacked. And I'm saying it out loud, but go look at my pictures. I mean, I don't look like... I mean, I, I love my body and I'm leaner now than I was when I started prep last year, but I, I'm currently in a building phase. I'm trying to build lean body mass, which means I'm not in a caloric deficit. I'm, and I'm eating a lot of protein. I think my protein this week's like around like 140. So I'm doing what my coach says. You pay money, you do what they say. You just execute. That's what you do. But, um, so my, so my fat's a little higher. So we're just, you know, we're playing around with things. My carbs are still relatively low, but I'm telling you right now, It does take concerted effort to get that much protein. A lot of people ask about protein shakes. And here's my spiel on protein shakes is that it's good to fill the gaps in protein in the diet, especially, you know, that leucine, maybe like post-workout. It will never give you the satiety of whole, you know, like a piece of steak or chicken is going to provide you. Also, it's going to provide you other things in there, right? Some collagen and connective tissue and things like that. The protein shakes are good for filling the gaps, but you, you can't survive on just drinking, you know, protein shakes. You got to get some real protein in there. But if you need it to fill the gaps to hit your numbers, I, I think that's okay. I think that's okay. You know, or creatine. I mean, there's definitely other things you can do to support your lean body mass, but you got to be eating some real protein. Yeah, you're right. And, and I will be the first one to say this, and, and, and people may not believe this or not, but I struggle getting enough protein every single day because, like you just said, it takes effort. You just, it, it is hard to get. So I'm, I'm 185 right now and I, I would like to get 185 grams of protein every single day, but it is, I don't always do it. Uh, and it, it is, it is hard and I hate protein shakes. It's so funny. I used to live off protein shakes when, in my early days when I first started my fitness journey. I cannot stand them. I do everything I possibly can to avoid protein shakes. I don't like the way they taste. I don't like the way it makes me feel. When I drink a protein shake, if I don't put some type of fat in it, it will knock me out and it will just, it'll make me go to sleep or it'll, you know, have that big spike and I just come down and I'm just shaky. I just do not like protein shakes. But again, at the same time, I also understand I, I got to use that as a tool to fill in those gaps because it is very hard to get in 185 grams of protein every single day. So if I could just do two scoops, which is boom, 50 grams right there, it's a big crutch. But at the same time, I absolutely hate it. I would always recommend going with chicken, steak, some actual real food. One, because it tastes better, but I just like the way it makes my body feel. But uh, that's interesting. Yeah. And your your show, that was crazy. So that was your first show ever, right? Competing in a bodybuilding show? Yeah. First time I'd ever competed. How was it? What, what your thoughts? You know, I've done a show before. I, I, I had fun. It was great. What, what did you think? What do you, did you love it? I loved the discipline of the prep. And I've talked about this on a lot of other podcasts. Basically, it took so many decisions out of my day. It was like, eat this and do this exercise. And so every day it was nice because that structured my whole day. And so actually, I and my husband is in the middle of prepping for a show for next year. And he talks about that too. He's like, I actually love prep because 
I know I can't go get an ice cream cone in the drive-thru. I know I can't do those things. So I don't even think about it. Like it's just like without a thought. So I, I did enjoy prep. Obviously the last few weeks, you're feeling a little bit depleted. Like, I mean, I got down to a weight, like just so everybody knows, I started my prep at like 179 pounds. Okay. I was going through the holidays. I knew prep was coming. I was like panicky and like, I'm never going to be able to eat again. So I'm like eating all this stuff over the holidays. So I was like 179 pounds when I started prep. And and just for reference, I weigh now like 165-ish. And so my stage weight was 147. And so, I mean, when people say like, for people who have a lot of weight to lose, like to lose 30 or 40 pounds, I mean, I lost, I mean, 31 pounds or whatever, like, you know, getting ready for the stage. And I lost a teeny bit of muscle. I did. It was cool. I had DEXA, so I was able to actually like track my body composition. But I've never been that lean in my life, like ever. But it was cool to just... There is a lot to be gained from doing something that requires that much discipline. I think you learn so much about yourself. It definitely is an extreme sport. So, you know, hats off to my coach for telling me, nope, not competing this year. He thinks you should basically have three three times the amount of growth and recovery than you do competing. So I spent six months competing. So now we're going to spend 18 months building. And I think that's smart. I did check my labs and things like that. I did lose my period at the very, very, very end because there is a level of body fat that your body requires as a reproductive species. You know, when your body says, well, this is a lot of stress. We're not having many calories. You're doing a lot of movement. I don't think this is a good time to reproduce. Those kind of things, you know, happen in the sport. And so I, I had a I had a fun time once again. I like competing, but I, I think it can create some body dysmorphia. For some people who have any history of that, it's probably not a good sport for you if you can't do it in a, a truly healthy way. And I did it ketogenic, which is very different than the traditional bodybuilding world, um, which is which is why Robert Sykes coached me. But I also maintained you know, normal testosterone levels and normal thyroid function. When you're at that low of calories, but you're still eating a lot of protein and fat, once again, pretty satiating. I mean, I was basically eating eggs and beef, eggs and beef and butter. And uh, I didn't think it was that bad. (laughs) I think that's better than like dry white rice and broccoli and chicken. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely creates some body dysmorphia for sure. And, and, you know, for me, and, and I've talked about this a lot, you know, for me, I still have that. Like seeing when, you know, when like you're on your iPad or you're on your iPhone and it brings up old pictures, like just randomly will show you pictures. At least I have that as like my widget and you'll see picture. I'll see pictures from, you know, when I was in prep or, you know, close to my competition or after my competition, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so, I was so jacked. I look so good. And now like currently where I'm at right now, I am just like, I, I am just, we're busy with bio coach busy with the family. I mean, obviously I'm still training, still trying to eat as clean as I can, but not really like focused on anything, just enjoying the holidays. So I'm a little fluffy than I've ever been in, in quite a while. And so I definitely sometimes get like, oh man, I wish I looked like that right now. Or man, I, I don't look like how I used to look. And yeah, I get a little down about it, but it's very important to to know how far you've come and just to love your body. Like you said, you know, I love my body. I love that when I take my daughter somewhere, like I'm always like the fittest dad. I, I want that, you know, as cliche as that may sound, or as I, I don't know if that sounds cocky or not, but I want to be the fittest dad. That That's just my personal goal. When I go anywhere with my daughters, whether that's to a soccer game or to their birthday party or taking them to a birthday party, I want to be the fittest dad there. That's just something that I want to do. I want to set the example and let other fathers know that, Hey, you can do this too. Just make it a priority. 
I think it's it's very important though to to realize you know to not get down about it for sure. I always got to like remind myself, Logan, that was prep. That's not how you should look year round. Yeah, all year round because that's not healthy. That's it's definitely. Not I think healthy. it brings up a point too that when you do things that others won't, you can have something that others can't. So looking at those pictures, you're like, how many people are willing to like? do what I did to get there. And I think that's why it's such like an addictive thing. It's like, oh my God, look what I did. But at the same time, like you're right, we have to, in our minds, understand what healthy actually looks like. Because I'm telling you right now, ladies listening, that being anywhere between probably 18 and 28% body fat is very healthy. It's very healthy. Yes, I have people that come and get in my DEXA and they're 26% body fat and they like think that they're like super overweight. And I'm like, I know you don't, I know you want to look lean and shredded, but like if your biomarkers look good, if you are functioning great, you're pushing the weights, your brain's functioning, like if everything's in check, 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 quit fighting your body. Like it's healthy. And that's, I think, where this whole like body positivity movement, I think we need to celebrate that like, a healthy body isn't 12% body fat, but I think we need to be very careful. It doesn't go the other way. It's not 40% body fat. It's not 50% body fat, what they're showing you in the pictures. That's not healthy. But there is a level of body fat that isn't lean and shredded that's healthy. And I think a lot of women, like they, they see, you know, the the Instagram models and Kylie Jenner and, you know, the Kardashians and just looking at something that's just like, well, not real. But two, it's like, come on, that's... I always tell people, like, you want the best version of yourself. You know, when people message me and they're like, Logan, I wish I wish I could look like you. Or I'm like, dude, don't strive to look like me. Strive to be the best version of yourself. And and that's all you should want. Like, don't try to look like anybody else. Just try to be the best version of yourself. And and that will be enough. Like you you will be you'll feel better, you'll look better, and you'll you'll just better in a better place than, you know, 95% of America because you know the numbers. You you always send us the group text of like the numbers that are just going up and up, pre-diabetes, diabetics, heart disease, cardiovascular disease. We're getting shockingly unhealthy as a nation every year. But uh, that's why you and I are here to let people know that, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. So for my listeners, please tell us about your book. Where can we get your book and where can we get more of Dr. Fit and Fabulous? All right. There it is. Look at it. Okay. I, I like I like the stand behind it too. I like the yeah. the, the, the the woman with the, the lift, the, the weights behind that. Look at that. That's awesome. That's one of my lifter of the year trophies. I have two of them. So the book is called Hard to Kill. You can get it on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. It is written in a very basic level. It's not super sciencey. It's written so that anybody can understand it. I wanted my like oldest daughter to be able to read it and understand it. And we also have an online hard to kill academy where there's going to be workouts. There's going to be more education, more deep dives into some of the topics that we talk about in the book. But basically there's five pillars in the hard to kill method of living. And by reading this book, you're going to understand what those five pillars are. And that should be like your basic operating software, just day in, day out getting your nutrition dialed in, your movement, your sleep, your stress, ways to recover. And then other things that people don't think about when it comes to your health too, like toxic people in your life. We talk about auditing your circle. So go check that out. But you can find me. I'm very active on social media, Dr. Fit and Fabulous on Facebook and Instagram. And I've got a podcast, Fit and Fabulous podcast, where you can check out my episode with Goody Beats. 
And I do lots of other things too, besides delivering babies and surgery. I'm very busy with my three daughters and I'm a mom. I'm the chief medical officer at BioCoach and uh, I'm super excited about what we're doing there too. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. Uh, thank you for taking time and jumping on my podcast. We got to do this again. And uh, for everyone listening, make sure you go check her out. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Thanks, Logan. See ya.